here, a real message as we call it later from our pastor. Um, but we just try to go a little deeper into the word of God during this session. And so we have been talking about the God of covenants. And this is our last session. Today we're going to talk about walking in the covenant. And if you have your Bibles, or you can follow along in the overhead, uh, let's turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. And then we're going to read verses 1 through 4. From Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and divers and miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Now remember that is all one question when you look at the punctuation from verse 2, 3, and 4. It is one question. He's asking, how can we walk away from this knowing what we know? That's basically what he's talking about. We're going to get into that a lot deeper here in just a moment. But first of all, let's do a little bit of review. First of all, we know that God is a God of covenants. And he also is a covenant-keeping God. I said earlier, and I firmly believe it, that I mean, God isn't really obligated to do anything for any of us. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, if, if, we, if God gave us what was fair to us, then he'd just drop us in hell. Because that's what's fair. So the people that say, well, God, that's not fair. Well, no, he's not a fair God. He's a just God. And just means that he's righteous in all his ways. None of his ways are wrong. So whatever it is you're going through, it's, if God allowed you to go through, it's for your own profit. And, and if God did not allow you to go through, it's probably because you got yourself in that mess. So don't go blaming God for it. <laughs> and God knows I'm not throwing out any stones because God knows we, I've gotten myself in messes too. But thank God, as the word says, he giveth more grace. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite verses is the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. When you find yourself in the belly of the whale, the word of the Lord can come unto you the second time again. Praise God. And so, uh, so God, God is a God of covenants. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's not obligated to, to do anything with us except unless we, we enter into a covenant with him. By the initiation of a covenant, God obligates himself to the conditions of that covenant. In this series, we've talked about five main covenants. There are many covenants in the Bible, but obviously we can't talk about all of them. But there are five covenants as they pertain to salvation, five major covenants that God made with man. We talked about Noah's covenant in the rainbow. We talked about Abraham's covenant. Uh, we talked about the law of Moses as a covenant and the covenant that God made with Israel as a nation to take unto him a people for himself. We talked about the Davidic covenant, and then we talked about the new covenant just last week. We learned how all of them led up or led into the new covenant, and they pointed to that covenant. It led up to that. So the new covenant is the culmination of all the major covenants God ever made with man. It all was leading up to that, that point. And the book of Hebrews compares the law of Moses as a covenant with the new covenant. Again, look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 17. It says, for a testament, now he's using the word testament here as an Old Testament. Okay, so he's talking about the covenant that God made with Israel. The, for a testament is in force after men are dead. Okay, so a will. When does a will go into effect? After you die. 
Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator lives. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. So what he's saying here is that in order for something to be put into effect like a testament or a will or a covenant, there has to be death. And then he talks about the type of death that took place to initiate that covenant or the old covenant. Verse 19, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats, there's your death, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. So the blood of animals put that into effect. So death had, it had there had to be a death of something. So the old covenant was put into effect by the sprinkling of blood, but the new covenant was put into effect not by the sprinkling of blood, but by the shedding of blood. And that implies not just a little blood as if when you cut your finger and you need a little Band-Aid, but that implies that all of his blood was shed to initiate or put into effect that new covenant. Remember whenever he saw the disciples later on after he was risen from the dead, and he said, you know, go ahead and touch me, and, because they thought he was a spirit. And he said, a spirit hath not flesh and bone. He said bone. Now, we would say flesh and blood. Many times in the Bible, you'll see this combination of flesh and blood. Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You, many times. But here, Jesus did not say flesh and blood. He said flesh and bone. All of his blood had already been spilled out. It had already been shed. It was shed for you. It was shed for me. It was shed for the sins that we committed. When we did not even know him or care about him. And we would not have cared about him at all had it not been for the goodness of God speaking to us. And so the blood of goats is compared with the blood of the Lord himself as a sign of the superiority of the new covenant over the old covenant. First Peter 1 and 18 says it like this. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. The word redeem here just means bought back. So there was a law under the law of Moses that allowed for slaves to be redeemed or purchased back by the silver and gold. So what he's Peter, Apostle Peter saying is that God brought us back not with silver and gold. But with something much more precious than that. With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. It was not just any blood, but it was the precious blood of the Lamb of God. The blood of the Lord himself. The blood of the body that the Father put on. When he said, when he said to Philip, or he said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. God put on a body for the purpose of redemption, for the purpose of dying, for the purpose of death. That body is called the Son of God. That Son of God died on the cross, was given for the sins of the world. Amen. So it was not just any blood, but it was the blood of the Lamb. Now, going back to our original reading, with that foundation being laid, let's, let, let's read that again, if you'll just indulge me for a moment. Hebrews 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense and reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bore them witness with signs and wonders, and with divers and miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Let's go back to verse 2 where he said the word spoken by angels. So, so verse 2 says that that was at the giving of the law. Remember, 
in Acts 7 and 53 when Stephen is preaching to, to those Jews and he talked about how the law was given by the disposition of angels or by the agency, through the agency of angels. So it was given by angels. So when he talks about the words spoken by angels, he was, re- he was specifically referencing the giving of the law of God on Mount Sinai. And furthermore, um, under that covenant, every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Now, I like how the, you know King James uses the word reward, but you know he's not talking about reward. He's talking about punishment, just recompense of punishment. Every transgression and disobedience was punished justly according to the law of Moses. And, in, and there was some mercy allowed, uh, but there wasn't a whole lot. Matter of fact, some things, some people died without mercy. Even the Bible says that, like Achan. Remember the sin of Achan? He hid that, that idol in his tent, and, and he, he confessed to Joshua. And he said, Joshua said, give glory to God and confess what you've done. And so Achan did confess, but he and his family still got stoned, even though he confessed. So there were, in some cases under the law, there was no mercy at all that was given. If you were caught in the act of adultery, you were stoned to death. No, it don't matter if you repented. It don't matter if you came and confessed to your pastor and said, I want to put my marriage back together again. There was no mercy for you. If we were in, in under law, Moses, pastor calls the elders of the church, and the one that caught them in the act is, throws the first stone. And you get stoned to death. So under the law, Moses, for certain things, there was no mercy given at all. If you shed blood, then you would have your blood shed. It was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Cut off an arm, you're going you're gonna to suffer an equal punishment of that. So that's what he's talking about. And the reason for that is not just that God was angry and wanted to punish man, but it was because of the value of that covenant and how it was initiated. First of all, that covenant, the law of Moses, was initiated through the agency and method it was used to initiate the covenant was through blood and angel visitations. Angels visited Man on Mount Sinai and audibly spoke to man. God used angels. And there was the shedding of innocent blood. That's why it had to be a spotless lamb. And, and, and that symbolized the innocency of that lamb and how, you know, the sins of Israel were transferred upon that lamb. Whenever the high priest would lay his hands on the head of that particular goat and he would send it out into the desert. That was called the scapegoat. And another lamb would have its throat slit because uh, that was what it took to initiate that covenant. Second of all, the visitation, not just of an angel, but of God on Mount Sinai at the giving of the law in a thick cloud. You can read about this in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, even Moses said, I'm afraid to go up on that mountain. There was thick cloud, there was thunder, there was lightnings. Can you imagine if it had been us there that day? Talk about knees, you know, knees that were quaking. I mean, I cannot imagine. I mean, now even thunderstorms, if it's a really bad thunderstorm, can really scare you. But you can only imagine what it must have been like when God put on his angry face and descended in a thick cloud on Mount Sinai. And all of Israel did not draw near. They drew away. And they said, Moses, you speak to God lest we die. So if a covenant initiated and put into effect carried with it that large of a punishment, How much more important is it for us to keep the new covenant, which was put into effect not by the shedding of animal blood, 
but by the shedding of the very God who descended on Mount Sinai in a thick cloud. The Lord himself as personally applied to our life. And secondly, not by the visitation of an angel or of God in a thick cloud, but God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, we have seen face to face, as he told Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It was a visitation of the Lord himself. And thirdly, under the law of Moses, there was no signs, there was no wonders that initiated that covenant. Certainly you could say, well, God parted you know, the Red Sea for Israel, but that was not through that was not because of the initiation of the covenant that preceded the initiation of a covenant. And so at the initiation of God's new covenant of Calvary, there was signs, there was wonders, there was miracles, there was spirit baptisms and the initiation and giving of spiritual gifts. Through which God healed man, he raised the dead. You can read about it all throughout the book of Acts. And so what he's saying is how much more important is that covenant? And if that covenant is broken, what sort of punishment would it carry considering how the old one carried such a great punishment and as I've already pointed out in some cases, dying without mercy? We have a great covenant and a great God and a great responsibility not to take that for granted. Even the Lord said, even the Apostle Paul said, let everyone that knoweth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Why? Because I've got the blood of that covenant sprinkled on my life. I've got no business playing with the world and having one foot in and one foot out. We've got to be sold out to Christ and holiness because these are dangerous times. We've we got to guard ourselves and guard our minds and guard our spirits. It's easy to let the world slip into our life. And before you know it, prayer is boring and the word is boring and worship is boring. And we wonder why we're not feeling God. And then we get skeptical and critical of the church. And we say things like, well, God's just not moving the way he used to. You know, the problem is not God isn't moving. The, fact, the problem is you are not moving. Worldliness is a sin. Amen. And it's, and it's, uh, it's a disease that... That wants to invade the body. But we have a great responsibility. We have entered a covenant that is sealed in blood of the Lord himself. Because this covenant is not all just about when I sin, I can get mercy. And that's true. Even the Bible says that. You know, we have, you know, we have an altar that we can go to that forgives and cleanses from all sin. But after you're done repenting, don't go back and do it again. Or it's not real repentance. You didn't repent, you just shed a few tears, you feel a little better about yourself, like a good Catholic going to the confessional booths, or sorry, whatever, I don't know what they call those things, where Catholics go to. You know, they feel good about themselves. It, it kind of relieves, eases their conscience a little bit. And that sometimes is what repentance kind of can feel like to us, but it has to be more than that. Uh, because those who turn away from the new covenant after experiencing the great salvation we have obtained are in far worse condition than those who forsook the law of Moses. Look at Hebrews 6 and verse 4. It says, For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and remain partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that often comes upon it and brings forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receives blessings from God. But that which bears thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh to cursing, whose end is to be burned. 
But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. First of all, he said, if, we, if after we have tasted of the Holy Spirit baptism, if we deny the truthfulness and the validity of that and go back into law-keeping, or I've heard of some people that have said, oh, that, Spirit, that Holy Spirit's not real. And they begin to, to make fun of that. And in their hearts, they turn away from it and they deny it after knowing that it's true. He said, you know, if we go in, in this context, he's talking about Jewish Christians that were attempted to go back into law keeping. So he said, if you deny that, you're leaving the altar of grace and there's no repentance for that. You can't go back to it because you've, 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 you've crossed the line. And then he said, that which bears thorns and briars was rejected and was nigh to cursing. Remember the parable of the vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5. From Isaiah 5 and verse 1, now, well, now will I sing to, to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching my vineyard. My beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vines, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein. And he looked, that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What could I have done more to my vineyard that I have not already done to it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, why did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, go tell, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up and broke down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. The vineyard was Israel. It didn't bring forth the right fruit, and so it brought forth grapes that were unfit to eat. They were a sinful nation that backslid against God. And you can read about it in Jeremiah 3 and 4 where he said, I have wrote you a bill of divorcement. As a result, Isaiah prophesied that the heads or the walls would be taken away and it would be trodden down. Remember when Jesus passed by the fig tree and he cursed it? Henceforth, you will not bear any more fruit. And that fig tree was representative of the nation of Israel. A Hebrews 6 and 8 says this, But that which bear thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh to cursing, whose end is to be burned. That generation that denied the Lord of glory and rejected the new covenant suffered the breakdown of their wall, their hedge, by the Roman legions in 70 A.D. That wall or that hedge was lifted up and torn down, and their temple was ransacked and burnt even to this very day. And he said, We ought to be warned against going back lest a worse thing come upon us. Titus 2 and 11 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteous and godly in this present world. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote to Titus and he said, You know what? Grace wants to empower us to live above sin and above every chain. Grace is not a license for loose living. It's not an excuse to to come and continually live in a rut and not ever go deeper in Christ. But grace wants to empower us. God wants to fill you with His Spirit so that you have power to live right and power to talk right. Amen. Throughout history, the Jews have always been a marked people because of this thing called circumcision. Again, now we're going back to the covenant of Abraham. But that literally marked them as covenant keepers. Without that sign of circumcision, they were not a people of God. They would have been cut off. So we too are a marked people, not by a physical mark as we stand, that showed their covenantal blessings just as circumcision showed their covenantal blessings. So we too have a mark. And that mark is baptism into the name of the Lord Jesus. That mark literally, that name literally marks us as a people of the name. 
Amen. 2 Timothy 2.19, as I close, says this, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And that everyone that knoweth, or that nameth the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. What a great responsibility and privilege that we have of carrying that name that is above every name. That name by which demons tremble. The name by which uh, you know, lepers can be cleansed and sinners can be, can be made whole. We carry that name in our, in our hearts. And we want to always carry that in righteousness and holiness. God bless you. Let's lift our hands as we worship right now.